live from the Poly Market Studio in LA. It's the Young Turks. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hot dog is my favorite meat. Oh. I'm your host, Anna Kasparian, and I'm here on the set by myself, which could only mean one thing. We've got some updates on the election and how Biden is doing in the polls. We're gonna get to that in just a moment. And in the second segment, Cenk Uger will join me for the remainder of the show. We have a whole host of really important topics to share with you all today. Big changes when it comes to the Palestinian Authority. There have been some resignations that I wanna get into. Later on in the show, we'll also talk a little bit well, basically about Donald Trump's speech in South Carolina and his theory as to why he is increasing his support among black voters. Man, that, that story is pretty crazy. And then TYT actually caught up with Marjorie Taylor Greene of all people and asked her some questions about Christian nationalism. So we're also gonna discuss that in the first hour of the show as well. Before we get to anything though, just wanna encourage you all to like and share the stream if you're watching us live. And you can help support the show and keep us afloat during this incredibly difficult media landscape by becoming a member. TYT.com slash join to become a member or just hit that join button if you're watching us on YouTube. YouTube. With that said, let's get to our first story. And unfortunately, these polls keep looking pretty bad for Joe Biden. This Harvard University poll is no exception. A new Harvard University poll spells more trouble for President Joe Biden and his chances of getting reelected in the general election. Now, what this poll did was look at the favorability for Donald Trump, for Joe Biden, along with other candidates, Nikki Haley, RFK Jr. They were involved in this poll as well. But for the purposes of this discussion, we're gonna focus on Trump versus Biden, since that is very likely going to be the outcome of the general election. So they found that in addition to boasting a six point lead over President Joe Biden, 48% to 42%. Trump's favorability rating has recovered to the point where he is now seen positively by a plurality of the country. So this is the first time a poll has shown this result for Trump. And we have been noticing that polls have shown Trump increase his lead against Joe Biden in the swing states. And that's where the numbers really matter. Now we're seeing some movement when it comes to the favorability of both candidates. While 36% of the 
2022 respondents indicated that they view Trump very unfavorably and an additional 11% view him at least somewhat unfavorably. 30% say they view him very favorably and an additional 20% view him at least somewhat favorably. So at least 50% of the respondents have a somewhat favorable view to very favorable view of Donald Trump. When you look at Biden, the numbers aren't as aren't as high, let's put it that way. So by contrast, Biden is not as favorable among the electorate according to this Harvard University poll. Let's take a look at the numbers. 39% view the incumbent very favorably and 15% more at least view him somewhat unfavorably. So Biden's favorable numbers summed meanwhile add up to only 43%, whereas for Trump, it added up to 50%. That means that while Trump's lead, while Trump's lead is or head is above water, for what seems like the first time in ages, Biden is underwater by 11. And Biden also, remember, desperately needs to win the swing states in order to win the general election. But if you go back to 2020, when, the majority of the American electorate was really dissatisfied with Trump's handling of COVID and they were more willing to support Biden just to get Trump out. That situation is really not at play in this general election. So for instance, if you go back to 2020, Biden did win a lot of these swing states, but by a very narrow margin. So that year, Biden triumphed over Trump by 0.23% in Georgia, 1.17% in Pennsylvania, 0.30% in Arizona, and 0.63% in Wisconsin. Polls conducted in those states for the current election cycle have shown Trump leading in all of them. And that's not just based on one or two polls. There have now been several polls that have shown similar results. The first one being that New York Times Siena College poll, Similar results were then shown in subsequent polls. And so again, things aren't looking good for Biden when it comes to the polls. And if there was one outlier that made that clear, whereas all the other polls showed that it's a, it's gonna be a tight race and Biden's actually doing okay, that would be one thing. But now we're seeing a consistent, full, full, a consistent flow of polls come out showing that Biden is really struggling in these swing states. And remember, nationally, Biden would have to win by five percentage points in order to clinch the 2024 general election. Now things are looking so wobbly for Biden that now donors are concerned. And donors have been speaking to the press about Biden's performance during some of these public engagements. And so Axios recently published a piece titled, Biden's Cheat Sheet at Fundraisers Worry Donors. And according to that piece, Biden's fundraisers go as follows. He delivers opening remarks typically on a teleprompter. And look, we've had Former presidents deliver remarks on teleprompters all the time. That's not really a big problem. But reporters are then ushered out of the venue as soon as he's done <laughs> with his remarks. And if the reporters are lucky, a select few of them will be able to ask some questions. And so Biden takes about two to three questions that have already been vetted by his staff, and he uses flashcards for the answers to those vetted questions. 
So that apparently has left some of these donors concerned. He leaves after he answers a few of those vetted questions. And Biden advisors say that the president is given those note cards only for very detailed and technical questions and say that he frequently does spontaneous Q and A's. I think that that is overstating <laughs> what's really happening here. I don't think Biden frequently does spontaneous Q and A's. In fact, if you compare his media engagements to previous presidents, you'll notice that his number is far lower. Now the staged Q and A sessions have left some donors wondering whether Biden can withstand the rigors of a presidential campaign, let alone potential debates with former President Trump, who's 77 years old. Now, how did the Biden campaign respond to this story overall? Well, they pivoted to what has worked out pretty well for the Democratic Party in the midterm elections, the issue of reproductive rights. And to be honest, I think that it makes sense in this context, given the fact that we just got some pretty terrible news out of Alabama with its Supreme Court essentially treating a fertilized egg, an embryo, if you will, as a living, breathing child. And that has had some ramifications in the state of Alabama, including the um, stopping of in vitro fertilization in the state. Because if a fertilized egg, if an embryo is considered the same as a human life, well, then the doctors and the clinics that provide this service uh, could open themselves up to potential prosecution. And so there are already people suffering the consequences of that. And as a result, the Biden administration immediately pivoted to that, or Biden campaign, I should say, pivoted to that in um, answering why they think that Biden is going to have a better chance than Trump in winning the general election. So Kevin Munoz, who is a Biden campaign spokesperson said, in news that matters to the American people when it comes to the 2024 election today, three IVF clinics in Alabama ceased operation operations out of fear of criminal prosecution by the state, all at the feet of Donald Trump. And I don't know how effective that messaging is going to be at the moment. Especially because there are other issues that core demographic, core democratic demos are unhappy with. If you look at some of the town halls that are taking place in places like Chicago, for instance, you have key demographics, black voters, for instance, incredibly frustrated over the migrant issue. So I'm wondering. Which one of those issues is gonna carry more weight with typical Democratic voters? But nonetheless, I wanna give you a little more from what the you know Biden campaign is saying here. Biden has some of his most notable unscripted moments at late night events with donors. On Wednesday during a three day West Coast swing, he called Russian President Vladimir Putin a crazy SOB. In June, he referred to Chinese President Xi Jinping as a dictator at a California fundraiser. And so apparently this is the kind of stuff that Biden is being lauded for in you know the liberal leaning press and by his own campaign. These are the kinds of things that they bring up in an effort to kind of prop him up as someone who's still a very strong candidate against Donald Trump. It's just that it's not really registering in the polling. Things could change. I want to remain somewhat hopeful, but at this point in the election, it's a fantasy to think that Biden's gonna drop out. He's not gonna drop out, he's gonna keep going. The real question is, Once all is said and done, and once we're at the Democratic convention, will the Democratic Party have a plan in place to, if Biden chooses to, 
drop out and hand over delegates to someone that he endorses. I have no idea. But if things continue the way that we're seeing them go, the trajectory that we're seeing for Biden, the Democratic Party, things aren't really looking good for the general election. Now, there's still a lot of time left, things can change. We should stay open minded. But Trump seems to be increasing his support, whereas Biden appears to be flailing. And if you are genuinely concerned about Trump and the threat he poses to our democratic process, if you genuinely think he's going to dismantle our democracy, well, you would want the strongest possible democratic candidate to run against him. It just appears that at this moment, that's not the case. All right, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, Jen Uger will be joining me for the rest of the show. We'll give you updates on Gaza, Israel, and more. Don't miss it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the, we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to the Young Turks, Shane Huger, and Experian with you guys. And Crystal, thank you for the contribution to tyt.com slash join and crazy weight loss desserts. Welcome also at tyt.com slash join. Much love, guys. Anna's got more news. Well, we've got some updates on the ongoing war in Gaza and some changes that are being made over at the Palestinian Authority, which governs the West Bank. The Prime Minister in the Palestinian Authority, his name is Mohammed Satayeh, has resigned following the United States pressuring the Palestinian Authority to reform its governance in the West Bank. Now, the PA has long been seen as corrupt by the United States government and also by Palestinians. In fact, the Palestinian Authority has lost credibility among Palestinian civilians, which is part of the reason why the United States wants to see some significant reforms. Now, in a statement, the Prime Minister announced, quote, I place the government's resignation at the disposal of Mr. President Mahmoud Abbas last Tuesday, and today I submit it in writing. Now, in a statement to cabinet, he, who's of course an academic economist who took office back in 2019, said that the next stage would require new governmental and political arrangements that take into account the emerging reality in the Gaza Strip, the national unity talks, and the urgent need for an inter Palestinian consensus. In addition, it would require the extension of the, of the authorities' authority over the entire land, Palestine. So remember that the West Bank is governed by the Palestinian Authority. It has increasingly lost favorability among Palestinian civilians. But that's not true of Gaza, which had been voted in by Palestinians back in 2006, which voted in Hamas back in 2006. And then after that, they did away with elections entirely and has had control over the Gaza Strip. Now, the US wants the Palestinian Authority to govern the Gaza Strip once the war is over. 
But Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israeli government has made, has made it very clear that they are not in favor of that and will not allow that to happen. So there's a disagreement between the US government and the Israeli government. But nonetheless, the US government argues that if the Palestinian Authority makes some reforms, then they should be the ones to govern the Gaza Strip. Cenk. Yeah, so let me get this right. No accountability for the Israeli government that killed 30,000 people just now and is still in the middle of killing way more, mostly women and children. No accountability, they don't have to change their government at all. Whereas the Palestinians in the West Bank, having nothing to do with Gaza, have to change their government because we're putting tons of pressure on them. And the pressure we put on them, I imagine, is very different than the pressure we put on Israel. The pressure we put on Israel is, oh my God, that looks a little tiny bit bad. Could you please cut that out? <laughs> like, oh yeah, oh, we really got him. For the Palestinians, my guess is we're gonna take away all your money unless you do unless you do as you're told. Why don't we try that on Israel? Oh, we can't try it on Israel. Only on the Palestinians who are occupied etc. Now, does that mean that I think that this prime minister should stay in power, the Palestinian Authority is not corrupt? No, I don't know enough about this guy to make a judgment call, but I'm not at all surprised if the Palestinian Authority is corrupted, along with almost all the governments in the world. And the number one most corrupt government in the world is America, because we legalize bribes. So people just buy our politicians, in fact, AIPAC and Democratic Majority for Israel and other lobbyists here bought our president. That's why the Palestinian Prime Minister is out, but the Israeli Prime Minister isn't. Let's be honest about what's happening. So you can tell, oh, you're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to say that. Well, except I just did because it's a stone cold fact. In so, fact, since we're talking about the West Bank, I think what's really telling is a moment that occurred during a State Department press conference today. So Matthew Miller was answering questions from reporters. And remember, one of the biggest problems in the West Bank is that Israeli settlers keep coming in, driving Palestinians out of their homes. They keep building illegal settlements. And what's interesting is that while the United States has sanctioned four Israeli settlers for this behavior, they seem to have a problem referring to those settlements as illegal settlements. And so Miller was asked about it during the State Department presser today. And I thought that the way he handled the question shows you the double standard in how the United States treats the Palestinian Authority versus the Israeli government, which of course allows these settlers to keep doing what they're doing. Let's watch. Why don't you guys just come out and take a position once and for all, our settlements Okay, or are they actually quote unquote illegal under internet? So I don't think you should hear me saying that settlements are okay. You should see us hear hear loud and clear. Oh, let me hear loud and clear. Me saying from a policy perspective, we believe they are a barrier to peace. From a legal perspective, we believe they're inconsistent with international law. Yeah, but you don't believe that they're illegal. You know, I will let the the lawyers, of which I am not, speak to the difference between those two terms, if any. But uh, on behalf of the United States, if we do, if any, well, we do, we do not believe the they're consistent with, the with whole, international the law. The delicate nature in which the US and our State Department handles questions pertaining to bad behavior carried out by Israel and Israeli settlers is amazing. Especially when you think of this, or you put that kind of treatment up against the statements we've heard from the US government in regard to the Palestinians, in regard to the you know Palestinian Authority and the need for reforms. And to be fair, okay, 
The Palestinian people aren't happy with the Palestinian Authority. But guess what? The Israeli people aren't happy with the current Israeli government. Yeah, massive protests against Netanyahu right now in Israel. Okay, so now let's talk about how we're gonna get to peace. Because the right-wing government of Israel says we can't deal with Hamas, they're not a partner for peace. A lot of people might say, okay, that's reasonable. I don't think it's reasonable because you make peace with your enemies no matter how much you hate them. But apparently that's there's a new standard that your enemies have to love you. Okay, so we're gonna get to that. So then they say, I say, okay, well, how about Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority? Remember, Abbas is the president, the prime minister just stepped down, okay? So they say, no, but we can't do a peace deal with him because he has no credibility. Okay, so what are you waiting for then? You're waiting for a Palestinian leader who loves Israel and has tons of credibility with Palestinians. Okay, so why don't you just say you don't want a peace deal? Because this is nothing but propaganda. And come on guys, snap out of it, snap out of it. I'm not like most of you are, but for the ones that are still supporting the Israeli government and the atrocities that they've committed here, really, you're gonna find a Palestinian leader that just loves Israel. And the Palestinians are like, oh my God, you love the people occupying us and oppressing us and humiliating us and killing us? Oh, that's great, we love you. I come, that's not a thing. Look, let's be honest about Israel at this point. It's along with North Korea and, and what China is doing to the Uyghurs in, in the camps that they put them in. Israel is now one of the most oppressive countries in the world. They occupy, imprison five million Palestinians and crush them and kill them anytime they like. So we're talking about how the, the real problem is the Palestinian Authority? Oh, well. Okay, tell me what the prison guard collaborators are doing, but don't tell me about the person running the prison. That's absurd, it's absurd. So if you wanna say the Palestinian Authority is corrupt, very likely it is. But so is Netanyahu, he's up on corruption charges. Palestinian Authority didn't kill 30,000 Israelis, Israel killed 30,000 Palestinians. So everything is through the looking glass, everything is nonsense. So it's not in, it does not comport with international law, but it, the settlements are not illegal. Yeah, it's so it's such a weird okay, so way I'm, of handling that question. No, I'm tired of or, Orwellian crap where people say, yes, even though everything you're saying is a fact, you're not allowed to say it. No, I am allowed to say it, I did say it. Israel is a massively oppressive state that is butchering people as we speak. I'm not interested in resignations in the West Bank, I'm interested in resignations in Israel. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on a whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply, visit website for more details. The Palestinian Authority's president, Mahmoud Abbas, has accepted the resignation of the prime minister, but asked him to remain in his post until a replacement is found. So no successor has been appointed as of now, but Abbas is widely expected to name 
Mohammed Mustafa, a former World Bank official who is chairman of the Palestinian or Palestine Investment Fund with experience of rebuilding Gaza after a previous war back in 2014. Now there has been no word on elections. And that's the other thing, I mean, you need buy-in by the Palestinian people as well. They're not happy with the Palestinian Authority. And now we're having discussions about appointing prime ministers and appointing people and having a foreign government, the United States, essentially call the shots about what reforms need to be made while simultaneously just kind of brushing off possible reforms that need to be made with the Israeli government. Gee, I wonder why they have no credibility, the Palestinian Authority, Abbas and the prime minister. That's because America orders them around. And who is America? America is Israel. So Israel picks their leaders and then says, oh, can you believe their leaders don't have any credibility because I picked them. <laughs> okay, just say you don't wanna do peace. And then you just wanna keep butchering people. Just say it, okay? No, but they won't. Blah, 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 blah. And America comes in with, blah, 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 blah. oh, they're the greatest ally. They're such a wonderful democracy. Who cares about the five million people they imprisoned? They're no good uh, Palestinians. Who cares about the 30,000 they butchered? Who cares? Who cares? It's just Palestinians. We don't care about their lives. Why don't you be honest for the first time in your life, any American spokesperson, let alone the Israelis? And talks about peace or talks about the Palestinian Authority governing the Gaza Strip is useless when Netanyahu has made clear that he is not in favor of the PA taking control of Gaza. And Netanyahu gets to do whatever he wants with impunity from the United States. The United States never holds Netanyahu accountable. There's some rhetoric here and there, but the rhetoric is never followed up with actions. The US never uses its leverage to ensure that there's some pressure for Netanyahu to do the right thing or to step down in this case. I mean, the Israeli people don't like him, he should step down. The US government doesn't like him and various politicians, including Donald Trump and Joe Biden have said some pretty critical things about Netanyahu. He is an obstacle to peace. So there's no pressure for him to step down by the US government, but there is pressure again for the Palestinian Authority to engage in reforms. I wanted to note one other thing though, as this war continues, Remember, the number one objective that we've heard from Netanyahu and the current Israeli government is that they must destroy Hamas. But that is not what's currently happening here. Because as the war continues, as more and more Palestinians lose their family members, as more and more innocent people are brutalized in the Gaza Strip, support for Hamas has been growing. So I wanna go to the last graphic here, because there was a survey conducted by the Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research back in December. And it showed that more than 60% of Palestinians want the PA to be dissolved, the Palestinian Authority to be dissolved. Meanwhile, support for President Abbas, who has held the position since 2005 has collapsed. In the West Bank, 92% of respondents want him to resign according to the poll. So they're losing support for the PA, whereas for Hamas, well, let's take a look at the numbers here. So this was a poll that was done by the Center for Policy and Survey Research, the Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research. And here's what they found, 44% of the West Bank said they supported Hamas up from just 12% in September. In Gaza, the militants enjoyed 42% support up slightly from 38% three months prior to the survey being conducted. Yeah, you guys wanna know why? I mean, I feel like this is the only place that does is not doing propaganda. You know why Hamas got more profit? Because they're fighting back against Israel. 
as you see your mom being murdered or your babies being killed or your grandmother shot by a sniper, who do you think you're gonna be in favor of? The guys that are being controlled by Israel and the West Bank pretending to be your leaders or the guys fighting back against Israel? Just use common sense. We can do this nonsense about, oh yeah, when Hamas kills, they're terrorists. When Israel kills, there's a beautiful democracy. Beautiful, right? Oh, they killed 25 times more than Hamas. Oh, beautiful. Okay, so Hamas is fighting back. You're not allowed to say that, by the way, in American media. So if Texas was occupied, let's use a different analogy since you can't say that. If the people and some people decide to grab their guns and fight back violently in Texas against their occupation, would they be considered A, villains or B, heroes by the people of Texas? My guess is they would be considered heroes, massive heroes. And if some people in Texas said, no, 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 no. The people that are occupying us and turning us into their humiliated servants, we should love them. And we should do whatever they tell us. Do you think they would be popular in Texas or unpopular in Texas? Come on, guys. This is so obvious. The only reason why I get upset about it is because, not because it isn't obvious and that you guys can't see it. It's that everyone in power in America denies the most obvious things in the world. Okay, so this is never gonna get fixed because, you know, Anna told you Biden and Trump are both against Netanyahu? No, they're not. I mean, they are through their words, but at the end of the day, who's the boss of who? And again, a thing you're not allowed to say, even though it is a stone cold fact. Netanyahu says, we're doing this. And Biden goes, okay, okay, so please, oh please, okay, I will, I will. I'll give you everything, I'll give you 14 billion more. And Trump says the same goddamn thing. So they're not against Netanyahu. They, they work for Netanyahu. So prove me wrong, prove me wrong. Disagree with Netanyahu, not with words, but with policy once. And I'll retract everything. Not once yet, not once. Let's move on to an update on UNRWA because now our own intelligence community has its own report about the merit behind Israel's allegations against UNRWA. A new report by the National Intelligence Council is pouring cold water on Israel's claims that UNRWA staffers are linked to Hamas. Now this is the humanitarian aid organization that had been providing humanitarian aid to Palestinians in Gaza as this brutal war continues on. But after Israel claimed that members of UNRWA were involved in the October 7th Hamas atrocities, more than a dozen countries pulled funding from the organization, thus crippling it and making it harder for the organization to provide the humanitarian aid Palestinians in Gaza need to survive. Now, Israel had made two main claims about UNRWA. Number one, that 12 of its employees participated in Hamas's atrocities on October 7th. Nine of the staff accused were sacked by the head of the agency, who said he followed reverse due process in doing so. Felipe Lazzarini, the commissioner general of the UNRWA, told a press conference in Jerusalem earlier in February that he had not investigated the evidence before the firing. And part of the reason why he did that was because he wanted to make it very clear that UNRWA takes those allegations seriously because they want UNRWA to 
keep having credibility so it could continue operating in Gaza. It is a critical organization for the Palestinian people, for civilians in Gaza. Now, the other claim that Israel made was that 10% of all UNRWA workers were affiliated with Hamas. So let's get to the intel report and see what they found. Okay, again, this is US intelligence. The intel report indicates that while some accusations are credible, they could not be independently verified. The intelligence report assessed with low confidence that a handful of staff had participated in the attack, indicating that it considered the accusations to be credible, though it could not independently confirm their veracity. Okay, the way that they frame this is hilarious to me because they're, how is it credible if you haven't been able to find any evidence of the claim? Highly credible, but we don't have any receipts. Yeah, yeah, well, to be fair, they didn't say highly credible. They said credible and low confidence, but <laughs> Anna's 100% right. If you say in the same statement that you have no evidence to confirm their veracity, then it's a very literal question. Then what gives you even low confidence that it is credible? If there's literally no evidence, and I didn't say that, you said that. So what gives you credibility? What makes it credible? Oh, because Israel said it. So no, this is the US's way of saying, yes, Israel made this up. When you when the United States government says there is no evidence to confirm the veracity of what Israel said, that means Israel 100% made it up. Now, speaking of making things up, Anthony Blinken back in January when this came out said that it was quote highly highly credible. Now we know there was actually no evidence. The US government had no evidence. So Blinken, you were 100% lying. So are people going to ask Blinken, why did you lie about that report? Your own intelligence community says there's zero evidence. So what made you say it was highly, highly credible? That took, that's what made everybody go, "Oh my God, let's pull the funding. America says it's true, it's highly credible. I got news for you, Anthony Blink is a giant liar. Joe Biden's a giant liar. Everyone that works for America is a giant liar and works for, I'm not allowed to say it. Okay, they are very, very fond of Israel. So maybe they framed it that way to try to avoid embarrassing the literal Secretary of State in making this allegation that it's highly, highly credible that you know these staffers had engaged in the atrocities on October 7th. But let's get to the second claim. So as far as the claims of a broader group of UNRWA staffers being affiliated with Hamas, the report cast doubt on accusations that the UN agency was collaborating with Hamas in a wider way. Although the UNRWA does coordinate with Hamas in order to deliver aid and operate in the region, there was a lack of evidence to suggest it partnered with the group. It added that Israel has not shared the raw intelligence behind its assessments with the United States. Which again is a departure from what we heard before. Because before we kept hearing about the Israeli dossier on UNRWA, the Israeli dossier that has all the evidence you know, laid out. And then Channel 4 News in the UK got its hands on that Israeli dossier and they're like, wait a minute, there's no evidence in here whatsoever. And in fact, all of those UNRWA staffers had been vetted and approved by the Israeli government in order to operate in the Gaza Strip. So what's going on here? And now we're hearing from our own intelligence community that yeah, there's, no evidence to back up these claims. In fact, we've we haven't seen any evidence. Yeah.
Now, let me just make it even clearer. If Israel has not shared the raw intelligence, there is no non-raw intelligence. That means Israel has not shared the intelligence. That means there is no evidence. And America went out and had their dog Secretary of State go out there and say it was highly, highly credible when they didn't even receive any intelligence from Israel. That is unreal, except it's the most real thing in the world. But we're all supposed to pretend that this isn't happening. Look, there's wonderful people inside the American government. That poor service member lit himself on fire to protest all the people that are being killed at our behest. And died as a result. And, and he, so what a tragedy and what a hero to try to bring attention. But it's not gonna work, because money is so much more important than lives. And that money doesn't go to the American people, it goes to our scumbag politicians. And so, and there's good people in Israel. There's massive protests in the streets in Netanyahu now. So I don't want anybody thinking this is about certain people or certain countries. All countries and people are varied. There's liberals, there's conservatives, there's a giant mix. But the government of Israel is butchering the Palestinians. And the reason that they are trying to cut off UNRWA's funding is because UNRWA is the only thing that helps Palestinians with food, medicine, schooling, and they don't want the Palestinians to have any of that. Because the monsters who run the right wing government of Israel think if we crush them enough and we humiliate them enough, then they'll be our dogs forever. And then we could just take more of their land and more of their maritime rights and make more money. And do the Israeli people get that money? No, the leaders and the people that they're connected to get that money. Same crooks that are at the top of all of these governments. I'm sick of it. And yes, I got news for you if you work in American media. If Israel tells you something in the middle of a conflict like this, it has about a 98% chance of being a lie. And if you still haven't figured that out after this outrageous lie, then you're never gonna figure it out because you don't wanna figure it out. And so by the way, has every news agency that reported that UNRWA was working with Hamas, have they all done retractions? Now that we are absolutely certain that US intelligence says that Israel didn't even share any intelligence with them. Didn't share any evidence with them. Where's the goddamn retractions? Are you in the news business or are you not in the news business? I haven't seen these, this is a good report. Financial Times, UK, Channel 4 in the UK, wonderful job. The rest of you, where are you? Where's all your retractions? You're not journalists. To be fair, the Wall Street Journal was the first to report on this NIC intelligence report, so Credit where credit is due on that. But the thing that I'll just say is, aside from the press correcting previous errors, I want to know when the funding is going to be reinstated for UNRWA. Yeah. Because it has been totally like kneecapped over these allegations with no evidence to back up the allegations. And finally, the report also notes, and the Wall Street Journal specifically talked to a US intelligence source familiar with the report. The source says that there is a specific section of the intel report that mentions how Israeli bias serves to mischaracterize much of their assessments on UNRWA and says this has resulted in distortions. That is as close as US intelligence has ever gotten to saying, of course Israel's lying. Even we have to tell you, of course Israel's lying. How dumb are you? Okay, come on. All right, if you still think that Israel's the good guys and those Palestinians should be occupied for 75 more years and the humanitarian groups trying to help them are the bad guys, 
you just don't care about reality at all. And so there's nothing I could do to help you in a situation like that. But if there's any decency of any people in power in America, they have to turn around on UNRWA, on Israel, on all of this. Do you know the funding we cut for UNRWA is about 1% of the extra money we're extra money we're going to send to Israel? So we're literally going to send 100 times the amount of money that would have gone to humanitarian aid to the Palestinians who are right now a quarter of them are starving. I just read a 45 year old baby died because it starved to death. A hundred times goes Month? to the people doing the bombing, okay? But we won't send 1% to help the Palestinians. All right, we gotta take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Trump's statements about black voters in South Carolina. Insane statements to say the least, don't miss it, we'll be right back. Five years? No, he was the baby was forty five days old and died of starvation. Jane Canana with you guys, also SB and Hussein Heidi. Uh, thank you uh, for becoming members. We need it uh, at this time, there's no question. So if you can, please become a member by hitting the join button below uh, to allow us to do this kind of honest coverage that you almost can't get anywhere else. Thank you guys. All right, Anna. Well, we've got uh, some election related news, including Donald Trump's speech in South Carolina. Let's get right to it. These lights are so bright in my eyes that I can't see too many people out there. But uh, I can only see the black ones. I can't see any white ones, you see. That's how far I've come. That's how far I've come. That's a long, that's a long way, isn't it? We've all seen the mugshot. And you know who embraced it more than anybody else? The black population, it's incredible. You see black people walking around with my mugshot. You know, they do shirts and they sell them for $19 a piece. It's pretty amazing. Oof. All right, well, on the eve of the South Carolina primary and while speaking at the Black Conservative Federation Gala, Donald Trump made a direct appeal to black voters by comparing his own criminal indictments to decades of legal discrimination that black Americans have faced. Here's more of what he had to say. I got indicted a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And a lot of people said that that's why the black people like me because they have been hurt so badly and discriminated against. And they actually viewed me as I'm being discriminated against. So I will say that Trump has increased his support somewhat among black voters, but Biden still has the lion's share of black support in America. Now, do they support Trump increasingly because of his unfair criminal indictments? I would venture to say that's not the case. I would venture to say that if you actually speak to these voters, they're concerned about other things, including the economy, the migrant crisis, you just listen to them. But what's really interesting to me is that Trump has put himself in the same position 
as individuals who have been overly prosecuted, wrongfully prosecuted, wrongfully convicted. Whereas Donald Trump <laughs> has done bad things and there's evidence proving that he's done these right things. He didn't have an equal footing with black Americans. I mean, we're talking about a guy who grew up in the lap of luxury, then proceeded to inherit $400 million from his father. It's just, it's a weird way of connecting to people, but we're gonna hear from a black congressman, a Republican black congressman who defended Trump's statements. Before we do, what are your thoughts, Cenk? So guys, I'm torn on it. On the one hand, it's obviously ridiculous and racist. And when he, the one that I thought was the worst is what he keeps saying about, you know, when I got indicted and I got the mugshot, black people love me. Oof, like you're assuming that black people are criminals and that they like criminals. And oh, it's just, come on, man, come on. It doesn't get any more old school racist than that. Okay, you could, I know your spin on it. Oh, they're the victims of injustice. Is that part of your regular stump speech about how black people in this country are being horribly mistreated? No, you actually say the opposite. Right, I mean, he was very concerned about the Central Park Five and how they were wrongfully convicted, right? Oh, right, no, he wasn't. In fact, he <laughs> wanted them murdered, he wanted them executed. After they had been exonerated. <laughs> You know, to be fair, the execution, he called for, he took a full page New York Times ad to execute them. That's when they were charged mm -hmm. and arrested. Okay. Okay, later when they were exonerated, he said, who cares? They probably did something anyway. He's such a terrible person. He's like the worst guy in the world. And what the hell was that joke about the lights and black I people? Know. I don't even understand it. I don't right? know. Yeah. So now, what the hell's the other hand then? So those are all awful, right? Yeah, but. Biden has gone from 86% approval with African Americans down to 50%. So it's not that Trump is gaining so much in popularity, right? As much as Biden is losing popularity among African Americans. And so now some percentage of African Americans are gravitating towards the Republican Party. You see it in the polling. Not because they're like, oh, great, the Republicans are criminals too, like us. No, you morons. That's not how they think, okay? But, and then you know what? I'll do a quick side note on this too. There's some wealthy liberals who have the same assumptions. Oh, we're helping black people. How are you helping them? We let out a bunch of criminals. No, that is not helping black people, okay? So the, the question is, what, what were they put in jail for? Was it something unjust, like marijuana possession? Or was it a serious crime that actually affects black communities more, you morons? So a lot of people share these kind of stereotypes that I can't stand. Um, but, but in terms of actually appealing to African American voters, get get a load of this shocking idea, Democrats. Try doing something. So when you say I'm gonna pass voting rights, actually pass voting rights. When you say you're gonna fight for higher wages, fight for higher wages. Mm -hmm. I know, shocking. Since you didn't do any of that, that is why they're going, well, maybe they're Republicans. Because we keep voting for the Democrats and we get almost nothing in return. So that's why they're finding a receptive audience even in this monster, at least some percentage are. So I wanna to go to Congressman Byron Donald, who was on Meet the Press over the weekend and was asked to comment on Trump's statements. So Congressman Donald's invited Trump to speak before the Black Conservative Federation Gala. And he definitely defended Trump. So let's take a look at what he had to say.
The president was really just enjoying himself. It was a great celebration for black conservatives across our country. But let's be very clear, our economy is a mess. Our border is completely unsecured. These things are causes of major concerns for black voters like it is for every voter in our country. But then when you layer on the fact that yes, this is political persecution from the Department of Justice and from radical DAs throughout our country, this is something similar that black people had to deal with the, with the justice system themselves. And so their their look of it is real simple. Well, dang, if the government's going after him with foolishness, uh, he can't be that bad, especially considering the fact that Joe Biden is terrible at his job. Wait, but hold, hold on. I thought the radical DAs were letting people get away with murder. <laughs> like I thought that was, that was the criticism toward the radical DAs. So now the problem is that they haven't let off enough criminals. Because why, why won't they let off Trump? And by the way, it's not Trump's in at least in this speech. It's not like he's saying I didn't do it. He's just saying, "Hey, I'm a criminal like I think you guys are." Oh. And then they're applauding. Jesus Christ, man. So, how about we put the criminals that are actually criminals did something bad, we put them in jail. We can't get agreement on that. Well, from the Republicans or the Democrats at times. I know. It's, it's crazy. unbelievable. It, it really is unbelievable. And and by the way, I should note that it's not the radical DAs who decided to indict Donald Trump. The indictments came from grand juries in all four indictments. But with that said, I do want to go to more of what Representative Donald's had to say about Trump. Let's watch. Let me get you to respond to Biden campaign co-chair and former Congressman Cedric Richmond, who said this about his comments. Donald Trump claiming that black Americans will support him because of his criminal charges is insulting. It's moronic and it's just plain racist. How do you respond to that charge that it's just plain racist? What I would say is that Cedric is trying to play politics and use racial politics even now as we get into the general election. That's one. Number two, like I said at the top, the number one reason why minority voters in our country want to support Donald Trump is because he did the job of president. He did a great job as president. Our country was secure. The economy was great. These are all things that Donald Trump talked about Friday night. He also did talk about the indictments. What Americans don't want to see, especially black Americans and anybody else, they don't want to see a political Justice Department. They don't want to see a two-tier system of justice. They want justice to be followed. They want Lady Justice to be blind. That's what the American people well, want. That's what black voters want. That's what everybody wants. So Jake, I'm curious about your thoughts on some of the issues that he's brought up. Because while I disagree with the statements coming from Donald Trump and I disagree with Donald's providing cover for Trump statements. Donald's did mention a few issues where if you actually take the time to listen to black voters and what they're concerned about, they do mention some of those issues, including immigration, including the economy. Yeah. I will say though, when Donald says, "Oh, well they saw the kind of job that Donald Trump did and they liked the work that he did and okay, well then why didn't they reelect him <laughs> in, in 2020?" So that that's a ridiculous statement to make. However, I mean, I've shared videos with you from these town halls in in cities like Chicago where black voter after black voter gets up and they're enraged about about the migrant crisis for instance. Yeah. So I forget exactly what number Trump got in the 2020 election, but it was in the ballpark of 10% from African Americans. I think it might have been nine or something along those lines. So it, 
Donald's is just making it up when he says, "Oh, yeah, they really liked him in his last term." No, they didn't. That's just not true. But when you talk to Democrats and you say, "Hey, crime might be a real problem," and a lot of minorities in in the cities are really worried slash pissed about it, right? Mm -hmm. They go, "No, they're not." Okay, and then you say immigration because they did the busing to the big cities. That's also creating a lot of conflict. It's even creating some racial conflict between blacks and Latinos in places like Chicago and other cities. And they're like, no, it's not. Okay, so both sides are totally denying reality. Yeah, they are. It's, it's scary, really. And and it doesn't help you to deny reality. But the only reason you would deny reality is because if you think. Well, I know I'm not going to solve the actual problem. I don't want to solve the actual problem. So I'll pretend it doesn't exist. Because if you wanted to solve the actual immigration problem, both Republicans and Democrats, you wouldn't do any of this. You would do a pathway to citizenship. You'd probably do a Marshall Plan for Latin America. But you would, you would then actually say, hey, once we do a pathway to citizenship, sorry, but you're, you can't come in. If you do, we're going to return you. We're going to have a very quick asylum process. You would do a comprehensive plan to actually address the problem. Instead, what are we doing? The Democrats don't have a comprehensive plan. They're coming in through the border. They're doing catch and release. And then the Republicans are saying, okay, let's send them to Chicago, New York, San Francisco, etc. And then they're sitting there, hundreds of thousands of people. They can't get a job because they don't have papers. What do you think they're gonna do? They're gonna get desperate. This, some are actually from gangs. Others are gonna get desperate and poor, etc. Yeah. And it's gonna create a giant problem. And then when we go to fund that problem, because we have to, then communities, and I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes in the town halls. They come and they go, wait, how come we've been sitting here in Chicago all this time, never got any funding? Now yeah. all of a sudden they're getting funding. Can I give you a specific example? And I thought that this was a big mistake by the Democratic Party. In one of these Republican debates that we covered here at TYT, you know, the, the candidates brought up the issue of the migrant crisis in New York specifically. And I don't remember which candidate it was, it might have been DeSantis. But one of them brought up the fact that students in the public schools during a, a rainstorm were forced to work remotely or take class remotely so they could use the campus as a shelter for migrants. And so, what I heard from mainstream Democrats in regard to that issue is what's the big deal? There was a storm, we need to shelter migrants. But guys, you also have to understand what that communicates to the taxpayers in that community whose property taxes fund the school, who, by the way, they've got to work. So the idea, like, it's not a big deal, their kids can just do remote learning during the storm. No, that is a major inconvenience. That is gonna rile them up and get them really angry. And I understand that anger. You have to find a better solution than to just say, what's the big deal? There's a storm, we need to shelter migrants. I, I, look, honestly, I think the wealthy, that we're, all the people in power are anywhere from wealthy to super wealthy. I don't think they have any interaction with real people. They don't. Like, literally no, none. They don't. They and don't understand so, what a big problem that is when you are a working, you have to work, and now all of a sudden, you can't go to work because your kids can't go to school. Because they have to do remote learning. That is a huge inconvenience. So we've talked about the Democrats. I think they're totally out of touch and they keep talking about black people like as if they're like they can't ask a black person. Like they can't go and attend the town halls. They can't see the polling. They can't, etc. Right? They talk about them in this theoretical language that doesn't actually affect their real lives and take into account their real lives. On the other hand, you look at Trump, I mean, he's just such a mess. 
So in the midst of that same speech, he keeps talking about, I hear, and you saw a part of it there, I hear black people love this shirt that I did. You know why he hears black people do this or that? Because he doesn't have any black friends. He doesn't know anyone black. He can't even say, hey, I was talking to Bob the other day, and he told me, look, a lot, I'm connecting to you because of the injustice that happened in the black community, etc. He can't even do one anecdote, right? Because he doesn't know a single black person. They it's unbelievable. My, they right? love my mugshot. Yeah, and so the only black people he has around him are a bunch of ass kissers like Donalds and Ben Carson. And and uh, and they're all groveling to him like Tim Scott. And at the end, he says about Tim Scott in this, he's like, I like Tim Scott because he, he doesn't talk much about himself. He talks a lot about me. God. And that's exactly the kind of black person that Donald Trump likes. Someone who's servile and, you, and he could use for his own purposes. So I hope you're proud, Tim Scott. Jesus Christ, by the way, he now probably is leading in the VP stakes if Trump thinks he doesn't talk about himself, only praises Trump. 100%. Oh, Trump loves that. I'll be able to trick people pretending that I'm in favor of black people by having this guy serve me and all he does is kiss my ass. Oh My God, Trump will probably love that. Meanwhile, no one hears from the actual people in this country. Well, when we come back for the second hour of the show, our very own Michael Shore caught up with Marjorie Taylor Greene and asked her about Christian nationalism. Her answer was what you would expect from Marjorie Taylor Greene. But we're gonna get into a conversation about the founding of this country and whether or not Christian nationalism makes sense for its future. That and more coming up, don't miss it.